Sorry. Welcome to this edition of the Presidency Debate, supported by Microsoft. Our theme is an effective Digital Markets Act. What balance will achieve certainty for all stakeholders? I'm Brian McGuire here in Washington with the team in Brussels uh, as well. Great to have you with us. And uh, we want to hear more from you uh, later on today. But before uh, we get started, I, I want to introduce our excellent panel. I am delighted to have with us Casper uh, Klinger, the Vice President of European Government Affairs at Microsoft, just to give some uh, welcome remarks. Casper, great to see you. Well, great to see you as well, Brian, although we are not physically in the same room, but hopefully we can be, be there in not too distant future. And um, listen, I, I'm not going to take too much of your time, but just really wanted to say it's a pleasure to help welcome you all to this event. And like everybody else, I think I'm looking forward to both a very interesting, but also I think a very timely discussion in the midst of the trilogue negotiations. And I think what is special about uh, today is that we have a pretty unique opportunity to hear from policymakers that are directly involved in the discussions around the Digital Markets Act, uh, Andreas Schwab, uh, as well as Mathieu uh, Weil, representing the European Parliament, as well as the Council. I think it's fantastic to have both of you with us today. But we also have two leading experts on economics and EU law, Christina Kafara and Alexandre Destril. Um, really, really helpful to have your views on what is happening. Um, like everybody else, it goes without saying that in Microsoft, we've been following the DMA discussions uh, very closely. And I think this is event, is event, this event is a really excellent opportunity for us to learn more about the positions that are being negotiated, 
the economic and legal context, and perhaps more fundamentally, what the future of the DMA is going to look like. And uh, sort of on a more personal uh, level, I think I'm particularly looking forward to the discussion for two main reasons or to focus on, on two issues. One is to better understand how policymakers and experts think that the DMA is going to be both effective and also durable. Um, how do we guarantee that uh, during the negotiations and during the adoption? I think the second issue that is going to be enormously interesting, and perhaps that's where a company like Microsoft come in, comes into the picture, is you know, how can the technology sector, bigger companies like the one I work for, um, really work with the European Union in achieving the DMA's policy objectives? I think we have a shared responsibility for making that happen as well. But of course, the DMA is not only not the only of uh, the regulation being discussed uh, right now, including during the, the French presidency. Um, and I think when you look across the regulatory board, many of the issues being discussed really boils down also the desire for increased sovereignty in the digital uh, space we're living in. Um, and I think Europe is already uh, exercising a very strong and I think also very positive influence on how the world is managing the accelerated digital transformation we're looking at through the powers, power of its sort of value-based regulatory framework. I think this is one of the areas where the EU is certainly a regulatory superpower. And I think the DMA has, and rightly so, sparked worldwide discussions about how to build more resilient, safe, and competitive digital spaces. And as such is the Brussels effect, and such is the weight and importance of legislation like this. And um, I think what we're looking at is the DMA that will ensure that big players, including in the technology sector, such as ourselves, will really need to adapt to European values, European norms, and European regulations. And I just wanted to say that from the outset, that this is how it should be. And it's really also the essence of what we in Microsoft call a tech fit for Europe, our need to adapt to the European reality that we are facing. So I think with these uh, initial remarks, uh, really looking forward to the discussion and thanks again for everybody on the panel. And also a big thanks to you, Brian, for taking us through what I think is going to be a super interesting discussion. Over to you. Many thanks, Casper, and also to Microsoft uh, for the support today as well for this program. So now to our audience, uh, we want to hear from you throughout uh, the course of the program. And you can follow this discussion at hashtag EA Debates. Please tweet your comments there. Our social media team will interact uh, with you. You can put comments or, or questions, but refer the questions go uh, to the Slido section and uh, put them in the chat there, and we will bring those to the panel during the course of discussion. Now, we're not going to bring it all at the very end, so send them as soon as possible, and we'll begin to weave those through uh, the conversation uh, with our panelists a little later on as well. So you can get started on that. I'm sure uh, the questions you have don't uh, won't depend on what you hear from the panelists exactly. So let's just set out what we're talking about today. European Parliament and the Council, as Casper said, are working with European Commission to find a final compromise uh, on the Digital Markets Act, the DMA, that aims to ensure contestability, fairness, and a level playing field in the European Union. And while the political directions from the Parliament and the Council have been set, more work is needed to complete the final text and make the DMA workable. Clear and predictable rules are necessary to provide legal certainty for gatekeepers and users alike, and for the DMA uh, to be self-enforcing. In order to regulate a dynamic digital markets effectively and proportionately, the account needs to be taken of the nature of the core platform services targeted by the DMA and the presence of different business models. 
Our guidance will be needed to achieve effective remedies, and the Commission might need to play a stronger role in defining what gatekeepers should and should not do. Today, we'll discuss how the general obligations of the DMA apply across the diverse platforms uh, covered by it, and how companies can best assist the Commission in achieving the DMA's uh, policy objectives. Now, we have, as Casper said, a really distinguished uh, panel today, and we're delighted uh, to have with us Andreas Schwab, a member of the European Parliament, uh, who will join us very shortly, we're told. And uh, he is also a rapporteur for Digital Markets Act at the European Parliament. We have Matthew Vey, he's the head of Digital Economy Department at the French Ministry uh, of the Economy. Uh, Christina Cafara, she's a senior consultant and economist, and she's advised companies and regulators on antitrust and digital markets globally. Uh, Alessandro Destrel, he's the academic director at the Centre on Regulation in Europe. Uh, so great to have all of you with us. Normally, we just ask you for about 60 seconds introduction, but today we have uh, a smaller panel and we can be a bit more flexible on the time with this as well. Uh, Andres will uh, get his opportunity to speak as, as soon as he arrives, but uh, Matthew, perhaps you can uh, kick off for us today. Thank you, uh, Brian, and uh, um, hello, everyone. I'm delighted to, to be here to discuss this, uh, this important text and, and it's a great honor for us, uh, uh, of course, in France to be uh, um, at, uh, at the head of the uh, council uh, at this point in time. Uh, we built on the, on the shoulders of uh, giants, the, the pre previous presidency, especially the Slovenian presidency made outstanding progress uh, by achieving the general orientation. And, and this DMA is really a very significant part of the uh, priorities on the agenda right now. As you know, the uh, French presidency of the council is put under the banner of a more uh, a digitally sovereign Europe, uh, serving citizens in a sustainable way. And, and we are really in front of a text that is balancing two of our main goals in terms of the digital agenda for, for Europe the innovation side and the regulation, obviously, because we need to have our own rules set. And, and I think what's interesting in the DMA is that both go hand in hand, which we, this is a regulation that is designed to enhance, as you said, a, a level playing field so that the largest um, players on the market can keep growing, but they are not overshadowing and is uh, setting clear rules so that the, uh, the startups, the emerging players can also um, uh, strive on the European market and become in turn maybe uh, uh, larger uh, than the others. So um, this is very important to keep in mind this, that the goals, the policy objectives of the DMA are both obviously regulating, ensuring that uh, the behaviors are consistent with our European values, are consistent with a fair, uh, with fairness on the markets, but also innovation, and that's behind obviously the contestability aspect of the DMA. So those are really uh, two two of the key messages that we are trying to balance innovation and regulation in the same text, um, and I think this is uh, really going to be the uh, uh, the key the key. Um, line that we are trying to follow in the in the discussion with our uh, colleagues from the council. One thing that I think is worth mentioning as well is that 
of the DMA is not the only text. I think Casper uh, Klinger mentioned that earlier. There's uh, a, a, a sort of a twin text about uh, platforms as well with the Digital Services Act, which is more about uh, holding the very large platforms accountable in terms of uh, content, in terms of uh, also uh, illicit or dangerous products. Uh, we think both go really hand in hand and we need to make sure we are keeping consistency across this package of uh, uh, acts. So that's, uh, I think, for introductory remarks, I would, I would keep it at that and I'm looking forward to uh, the, 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 the discussion that will uh, uh, be taking place in, in this session. Thank you very much. Matthew, thank you. And uh, we're joined by Andreas Schwab also. Great to see you, sir. And let me have the floor straight over to you. All yours. Hi, Brian. That's a pleasure. Uh, sorry for being a bit late, but I've been listening to Mathieu and I'm very happy that you do the conference today. I'd like to um, um, start by saying that we want uh, an effective DMA, effective in enforcement. And to do so, we need to make sure that we give the European Commission enough flexibility to do a good job. And uh, for a lawmaker, that's not that easy because that means that our rules have to be clear, but still we know that applying them for specific business models in specific core platform services, it might be a challenge. And that's the challenge of the European Commission. And I think we trust a lot of power in the European Commission here, and we hope and we expect um, it to deliver on it. So um, as it has been mentioned, DMA and DSA are sisters. So I'm only the rapporteur on one of the two elements, but I think it's a very important element to show that our principles are not there to be in the air, but that are there to be applied. And therefore, um, as a parliament, after having uh, stood up in 2012 and 2014 with resolutions where I was participating in the drafting, we are very happy that we see now that on all the negative and burdensome processes that we have seen in the last years on uh, applying competition policy, we come now a, to a um, system which will be based on the key competition law principles with another procedure that is creating as a regulatory tool, um, integrating also some sort of unfair business practices, unfair trading practices, making it an in internal market instrument um, that uh, helps to apply the ex-ante rules in a much better way. Now, what I would like to tell you is that we in the parliament had to balance for sure a certain number of uh, different interests that we wanted to converge in the end. And therefore, our aim has to be to make clear that the enforceability of the DMA is not jeopardized. But at the same time, we create rules that the lawmaker has been installing. And that is at the moment also the key questions that we are addressing with the French presidency, who is doing a good job, but who has to speed up a bit the timing because we want this law to be in place for the 1st of January 2023. 
And so far, we haven't been making good progress in the negotiations. So there is a real need to speed up and um, to make the spirit of the ex-ante regulation a, 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 a success. Um, we have also been um, clear that the law itself has to be clearly, as all laws, but more clearly as normal laws, proportionate um, and uh, um, obviously directing at unfair business practices and not against specific companies. And I'm very proud so far, we have never been speaking about companies. We have always been speaking about business behaviors that we want to fix. We want to create a certain balance of different industry in interests. And we are not one-sided, but we are trying to see the big picture. So for that reason, we need the regulated dialogue that we can get it right. It should be a dialogue that is done um, at the same level. Um, companies that do this dialogue have to expect the European Commission to be proportionate and serious. But the European Commission has to expect companies to act faster than we have seen in the last seven, eight years under competition policy. Um, because the European digital single market is something where all users, all companies, all citizens have um, benefits to expect, have their rights to be heard, um, and have the right to see innovation and business models that, in the in, that are in the interest of everyone that can be used. Um, and therefore, the regulatory dialogue that we are foreseeing, um, that has already been mentioned, is about to make sure that it's about the Commission in the end to assess the situation on how gatekeepers apply the do's and don'ts, the rules and obligations of Articles 5 and 6, and under the conditions of a very clear understanding of the companies, the Commission then will give green light to the application. So there is the rules and obligations that are crystal clear, but all rules and all obligations have to be adapted in daily practice to specific business models. And we know that there is not one gatekeeper model, that are several different gatekeeper models. And to make sure that the rules are applied in the right manner, concretely, the Commission will, in that regulated dialogue, discuss the application and, in the end, when the companies are clear about them, give a green light. And like that, we hope that we can speed up the process, make the best out of the digital single market, boost innovation and allow gatekeepers to continue with very successful, economically successful business models that have sometimes become a bit uneven, but in the future should become more even again. Thank you so much. Andreas, thank you. Thank you so much. Christina, over to you. Thank you so much, Brian, and thanks to Euractiv for the invitation. Honor to be speaking on this uh, panel. Um, I'm an economist and a practitioner, and as it's uh, appropriate, I need to do a very brief disclosure. I have worked adverse to Google and Facebook for, for parties and agencies. I have done some work for Microsoft, Apple, Amazon. Netflix, News Corp, and a few more. What I'm going to say, of course, is just my own personal view, certainly not the view of anyone I've advised. So what I'd like to do is um, take a step back a little and think about why we are here and what are the key issues that are facing us going forward with this uh, great project. So fundamentally, we are here, and let's not forget it, we are embarking in this major 
project of regulatory design because antitrust has fundamentally failed in this space. In the main, it has failed, and this is for a number of reasons. It takes too long, agencies have been too slow, there are several steps behind the action, they've been trapped in precedent, uh, companies are certainly also uh, exploiting the process, and remedies have been utterly useless to <laughs> modify the, 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 the way we uh, are. So, given that failure, which I think is not uh, in, 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 in doubt at this point, we are pivoting towards this great regulation experiment in the hope that this experiment will be um, leading us to something which is more self-executing. We don't have to just kind of endure these endless delays, but somehow companies will adapt and behave in a way that is appropriate. There's been, of course, great pushback because all of the, most of the uh, parties that are the, the, the target of this have been rolling out the usual arguments, the fear of unintended consequences, the hurting the small businesses, that we need to learn to walk before we can run, China, China, China. But this has not really gained uh, much traction. I think progress has been very fast. And to the credit of Andreas and his colleagues in the parliament, we've seen this project really turbocharge through uh, parliament and get us to um, a place that I think was, uh, in some sense, unthinkable. I just want to tee up what are the four issues on the table. Some are slightly less kind of focus now of the debate as we are progressing in through this. Others are becoming really much more uh, the focus of, of attention. One is uh, who and what. Of course, uh, who are the gatekeepers, how wide the net is cast, uh, and, and what are indeed the core platform services that will be the target of this enforcement of this, of this regulation project has been a big topic of discussion in the last few months. I think this process, uh, this this discussion is settling down a little bit. It has become quite clear who the targets are, who are going to be the companies in scope. There is a bit more discussion at the margin about which of the multi-services that they provide will be ultimately caught by this software application. What does it mean? But in the end, that kind of scoping question is kind of fading slightly. The discussion is also very much about the formulation of the rule, or it was initially about the formulation of the rules. Um, as, as we all know, there are 18 rules in the DMA, uh, Article 5, Article 6, and the initial version that emerged uh, about a year ago uh, drew a lot of attention because the, the rules were formulated in a way that was, was seen as being quite generic, quite general, and not targeted enough given the variety of business models uh, and, and bound to create some confusion. I think that, again, to the credit of Andreas and his colleagues, a lot of work has been done in the last year to sharpen the language, to sharpen the rules. And I think now uh, it is the case that companies cannot be much doubt as to who the finger is pointed at. When you read a rule, you kind of know now. You cannot be pretending that this doesn't really apply to you. But I think as we're moving through this process, Two other aspects are becoming really center stage that, of course, uh, are being debated now and are going to be debated over the next few months much more. One is timeline. The timeline for this process is incredibly ambitious. I heard Andreas talking about the need to speed up, but I'm sort of thinking also about once the, uh, uh, the project has been approved, the, the timeline for actually uh, 
identifying who the core platform services are and what they should be doing and whether they're compliant is compressed, is short. And that is, of course, the, the, the idea because we want to defeat the kind of long longers of uh, antitrust, but it is a very ambitious timeline, which will create uh, quite a bit of discombobulation and disconcert. Uh, and finally, uh, there is the huge question of who does what, which body will enforce and what will be the balance between centralized, decentralized, where the comparative advantages are. Of course, we are looking at, at, at a combination of regulatory function and enforcement functions. In some areas, the centralized model has advantages, but there is, of course, a big debate to be had, which is accelerating and amplifying around who does what, how. Uh, remedies are going to be defined, what the competition law interaction is going to be, what the resources are going to be to actually implement this. And the final, final point I will make is that I think that this is great. It is something that we need. On the other hand, I see huge challenges and delays going forward because starting from the designation of core gatekeepers, core platform services, to the interpretation of the rule, to everything, I anticipate there will be huge challenges, legal challenges. The uh, enforcing body will be jammed with these challenges because some of this goes to the heart of the business model. And while we hear a lot of noise about, well, we want to be cooperative, I think that something that goes to the heart of the business model is not going to be Ad 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 adopted uh, with any sort of uh, benign enthusiasm. So I think that the process in reality is going to be dragged through a series of challenges um, which uh, are inevitable and we should expect them, but that makes the future all the much less clear from my perspective. Thank you. Christina, thank you. You teed up some of those points and I uh, will take a swing at them in uh, just a moment. Uh, Alexandre, over to you. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much for, for the invitation. And uh, I fully I fully agree with what Christina said. And in a way, I will uh, start from, from what she said and, and to build upon that. So first, I think the advantage of the DMA and, and, and Andreas Traps has recalled that is that we have detailed rule. And clearly, detailed rule are easier to implement that broad standard, which is envisaged in, in the UK. But that do not mean that it's easy to implement, as Christina was just uh, recalling. And my starting point in thinking about enforcement is that self-execution is a myth in digital. I mean, we speak a lot about self-execution, but I sincerely do not believe it exists. And if you don't share my, uh, my thinking, just look at what happened with uh, consumer protection, where we have there uh, more than 10 years of practice with black clothes, which have been implemented against big tech. And very often, you know, it took more than a year uh, for the uh, Consumer Protection Authority to exactly know how to interpret those provisions to the different business model of several big tech. So I really think that if we, we can learn from that experience in consumer protection to know that self-execution do not exist. Now, that means that we will need a very robust dialogue and coordination mechanism among all stakeholders, which, as Casper was recalling um, in introduction, have a shared responsibility to make um, this uh, DMA uh, working. And, you know, I think the coordination that we need, we, we need something which have, we have never seen that before in the EU. You know, 
So I think really we should not underestimate the difficulty, as Christina was recalling. And, you know, I think there are five actors which will be involved in the system. You have the regulated gatekeeper, you have the Open Commission, you have the national authorities, you have um, the uh, stakeholders, so the competitor or the complementer of the, of the regulated platform, and finally the national judge. And each of them will have a role that I want just to, to discuss in one, in, in one minute now. So first, the regulated gatekeeper, it is clear that they have to participate to the dialogue. It won't necessarily be easy, as Christina was saying, because um, we are touching about uh, their business model. But, you know, they have to have, as we say in uh, competition law, uh, the ability and the incentive uh, to cooperate. That means that um, they have to have um, something to lose if they don't not cooperate. Uh, and that could be a very strong sanction. But they also have something to gain if they cooperate. And that means to be really listened by the Commission when designing and specifying uh, some of the obligation of Article 6. So I think it's very important that, um, you know, um, the Commission really seriously engage uh, with them and do not say, okay, that's clear enough, it's up to you to find what it is. I think really a lot of rules are, to me, not clear enough, and it's not because the Parliament and the Council don't do their job, it's because, you know, there is a limit in what a legislator can do in a very complex system as we, as a very complex sector as, as the digital one. Um, now, regarding the Commission, um, the Commission will have, and I think it's very important to see that, for the first time um, since it exists, so since the 50s, a role of a regulatory authority. The Commission is the uh, European Antitrust Authority since the beginning of the EU, but it's the first time that the Commission is the regulatory authority and we have a kind of a Federal Trade Commission now in, in Europe. Now, that's very new and that's very good if you believe in, in, in European integration. And, and paradoxically or ironically, the big tech are now the best allies of the European integration. But that means that it won't be easy and there will be a lot of uh, you know, expectation, as uh, Andreas Schwartz has just recalled. I mean, the Commission cannot miss that. And it's a new role. So that means, I think, two things concretely. First, we will need to have a strong cooperation between DigiComp and DigiConnect, as we, for instance, have seen that uh, uh, 10 years ago in, um, in Telecom, where uh, the two DG have cooperated very closely and very well. And I think DigiConnect needs to be involved because there is a lot of synergies with the DSA that uh, Mathieu was uh, mentioning before. So, you know, those two act, there is a lot of synergies in enforcement, although they they are uh, um, dealing with different problems. They are dealing with the same platform and the same uh, and the same algorithm. So um, a good cooperation between the different DG, I think that, that is possible because the Commission has done it. But something which is probably a little bit more difficult is I think that the Commission will have to evolve from a kind of a standard bureaucratic culture to a sort of geek culture, you know. Because, you know, if you want to understand um, how those companies um, function, you really have to have a lot of computer scientists and uh, data analysts in the Commission. And today, you know, um, as we know, the Commission don't have many. I mean, some of uh, the regulatory authority have um, hired more and more people. But I think that that is, that is important. And I I'm a little bit worried because we know that it's not easy uh, for the Commission to hire new people. I mean, the, the process is extremely slow. So there, I mean, there is something to be, to be thought through. National authority, uh, third big actors, here, of course, I think they should come in support of the Commission. I don't think that we should go to a decentralized approach, um, given um, that uh, most of the platform which will be regulated have an operation all over Europe. So I think it's good to have a centralization. 
but clearly um, the national authority are closer to the field and so um, they have an interest to be part of the system and here i think we have very good practice in banking supervision where what do you have you have joint investigation teams so team from the national supervisory authorities and from the ecb which is the uh, European regulator for the significant bank. So you know that every um, uh, inquiry is done jointly by national official and European official. I think it works well in, in, uh, in, in banking supervision, and I think it could work well uh, here as well. Then we have the interested parties, so um, the, comp the complementers of the platform or uh, the competitors of the platform. Of course, they need to be here, they need to be heard, and I think there the work of the Parliament and the Council um, has improved uh, quite substantially the text of the Commission, so that's uh, that's very good. And finally, we have the national judge, because, I mean, um, the DMA will be a regulation which will have direct effect, you know. And that worries me a lot, because, you know, um, it will be extremely complicated to enforce, and I'm not sure that every national judge in every cities of Europe will have the expertise to do that. Now, how uh, the coordination um, is done between the judge through a preliminary ruling question to the European Court of Justice. So the national judge may ask a question to the Court of Justice. And this is what we see now with the GDPR, uh, with a lot of questions going towards uh, the Court of Justice. But that takes a lot of time. You know, we have still a lot of unresolved issue now, and we are three years after the implementation of the GDPR. And second, the um, Court of Justice is not also specialized in, in digital, and there is no computer scientist or data analyst in, in the Court of Justice. So really, I think what we need here is a better cooperation between the Commission and the national judge, either the Commission uh, adopting some sort of comfort letters to the uh, regulated company saying, OK, this practice is OK, according to us. So um, there is no possibility of having a private action against you. Or, um, and or the Commission adopting several guidelines, which will then help uh, the national judge to, to do their job. But I am really concerned that if we just base uh, ourselves to preliminary ruling question, I mean, it will not work at all. So, you know, in, in, in a nutshell, I think uh, we have self-execution do not exist. I don't believe in that. Uh, we, will, we will need a, a strong coordination mechanism uh, across um, the five main actors or categories of actors which will be involved. The Commission clearly will be at the center, but um, um, it, it's very important that the Commission has a strong dialogue with all the actors um, in the game. Thanks. Thank you so much uh, for that. Um, we have a lot to digest uh, there. What I want to kick off with, uh, Andre, Andres, is uh, yeah, we need to define what the gatekeepers are, you know, what's a user and what's a business user as well. What was the thinking in the parliament in this in terms of how the definitions uh, were thought through and how this is going to work practically? Well, the parliament is a very intelligent institution and um, we have understood that we have to find the right balance between focusing too much on what some academics have been uh, recommending to us with a political uh, viable system. And uh, therefore we have been deciding that we have to have a presumption on the one side and uh, a very flexible tool for the commission to integrate every company. It seems to be uh, clear as a gatekeeper to integrate as well. And therefore the process of designation is fully in the hands of the European commission. And I have no doubt that they will do an excellent job. 
If you allow me to come back on one comment that Alexandre has done, it's about that idea that gatekeepers should have a, an advantage if they abide by the law. I'm provoking a bit. But if they apply Articles 5 and 6, I think the only advantage they can get is that they get green light from the European Commission on a concrete uh, dedication, on a concrete um, 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 conviction on how Article 5 and 6 for a specific core platform service have to be applied. But they are not granted any exceptional tools uh, or any um, um, leave um, or, or leeway from the law. They will have to apply the law as it's written in 5 and 6. And the advantage they can get is that the Commission gives them, without any procedural ruling in courts, a green light. But that means that they have to apply these um, green-lighted uh, areas and, and points then 100%. Because if not, the penalties will be very, very strong and behavioral and uh, structural measures are at the hands of the Commission in the future. Thank you. Matthew, you know, this is Rubik's Cube, which is uh, in your hands uh, right now as well. You know, for you, what, what is the, the most challenging dynamic at play here? You spoke about regulation and innovation. We have these uh, definitions which are still in flux to some degree as well. Uh, what, are your, what are going to be the bottlenecks here in achieving something which is uh, effective and deployable and uh, like we heard uh, as well, you know, it cannot be easily challenged in such a way that uh, it, it, it hinders uh, the actions of the market or gives advantage to, uh, to uh, anti-competitive practices. You know, what's, what's the, the biggest bottleneck for you here? Um, I think I think Christina uh, really nailed it. It's it's really about being effective and 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 the urgency that was mentioned by Andreas earlier uh, should be really in the top of our minds. And that's that's the, why we took this approach actually in with the DMA uh, of ex ante rules. Some of them needing uh, obviously clarifications due to uh, vast diversity of the uh, gatekeepers' business models. But I think the spirit of the uh, act is very clear and in no way can it be denied by any uh, uh, player. It's there are rules, they apply as soon as the text is enforced and um, any tactics about uh, delaying by asking questions and everything um, uh, will, uh, will be fought uh, in the um, um, in in front of the judge, if need be, and I'm sure I, I can't see how a gatekeeper, once even considered, could say, "Well, uh, until uh, I have my final green light, I'm not changing anything." I think that's um, we're talking big players here uh, with uh, uh, a very strong sense of responsibility. I'm, um, I think we'll get to that uh, uh, pretty efficiently. Having said that, the challenges that Christina was mentioning and, and, and Alexander uh, was very detailed about it is about bringing into the commission with the support of the national authorities as well, as much talent and skills as required because these rules are pretty detailed in some ways. Uh, they have to be applied in different situations and they have to be monitored as well. And there will be challenges. There will be 
um, uh, requests to consider infringements. And we did the experience from the antitrust environment, for instance, is that you need to have a lot of uh, expertise to assess how a gatekeeper is or is not uh, rolling out a system that is unfair or that is uh, creating, uh, for instance, uh, uh, self-referencing. So um, I think that this uh, upskilling of the authorities is a key priority. Um, in France, we've built a number of teams uh, uh, enhancing the capacities of our uh, authorities recently. Uh, we've also created a, a, a joint mutualized um, uh, team of data scientists that operates uh, either for uh, content uh, regulations or economic uh, regulations, the uh, competition authority, or for policy setting. And this is absolutely crucial that the commission starts right now enhancing this. I know there are uh, consideration being given to uh, how to organize, but the skill aspect is okay. going to be critical. Uh, Andreas is nodding in agreement there as well. But you know, we are, we're all familiar with the speed of change of the institutions and what Alexander talks about, this need for a geek culture as well. You know, are any of you optimistic that that geek culture can be uh, achieved within a relatively short uh, space of time to make the DMA actionable uh, by using real experts, real uh, analysts who understand the complexity of the, these topics? Uh, let me ask uh, Christina, just a, a quick recap on Christina's comments earlier. Antitrust has failed, they're trapped in precedent, remedy is utterly useless, and uh, this is a great regulation experiment. Optimism is not really your thing on the DMA, is it, Christina? <laughs> well, no, I'm not, I'm not a pessimist. I think that resources is going to be a fundamental bottleneck, right? Because the current plan is... Um, that when the law eventually comes into force, then we're going to have very compressed timetable. So three months for the gatekeepers to identify themselves. And then the commission is in three months or 90 days to just uh, confirm that. And then there is six months for a compliance statement. So what's going to happen is all these companies are going to produce their very lawyered compliance report. And then you're going to have 25 people in the commission, no more. 25 is the number for 2022 and 2023, initially looking at these compliance reports. And there is going to be a number of core platform services which are intended to be compliant. So the, the task of just sifting through this and forming an opinion in uh, uh, against the background where, uh, while, as I say, the rules have been sharpened, there will be lots of questions tons of questions about how does it actually apply to me and you know let's have a discussion let's sit down and i want to talk to you fundamentally and this is something uh, uh, alexander uh, teed up well uh, we are looking at several functions that are being uh, pulled inside the dma so there is uh, designation engagement to rule as they apply compliance assessment supervision enforcement for non-compliance all of these things and not, apart from the latter, which is enforcement, are not second nature to DG competition, for example, because it has never been a regulatory body. So there is a, a combination of regulatory kind of functions that don't come natural to an enforcement agency and then an enforcement function. But those regulatory functions need to be inserted at speed 
with a team of 25 to 80 people at uh, you know in full in full in full force um, and that is going to be enormously challenging which is why of course we are all clear that this cannot be a sole solitary solipsistic effort by digicom that there needs to be contribution by the national authorities and indeed i mean both matthew and and alexander mentioned it skills i mean skills is is going to be the big question because you can't just kind of uh, shift a few economists and lawyers for DG, from DigiComp and just kind of make them suddenly become these kind of tech regulators. Um, the, the, the CMA here in the UK has, has done quite a good job over the last few years of tooling up. They have data units, they have sort of data scientists that work together with the lawyers and the economists, and that has been a gradual process. But we absolutely need that. Otherwise, this is going to be jammed into a complete bottleneck in which no one okay. is, is going to be progressing this fast. Christine, just uh, Andreas wants to reply, but just uh, before I uh, give it over to, to Andreas, you know, the, we heard France has achieved these kind of data units. UK has done this as well to some degree. Clearly, the Commission has opportunity to do that as well. The question is really the speed. Uh, of uh, action and, and how, how quickly they can organize a team like that in a more complex environment. You know, are you optimistic that that can be done uh, in a reasonable time? And if it can't be done in a reasonable time, should there be some sort of pause on, on uh, the implementation of the DMA until those teams are in place? Or if you don't have those teams in place before uh, this is implemented, are you just asking for trouble then? Well, I don't see pause as being realistic. I think we need to get going. Otherwise, we're going to fall into the trap of antitrust, which is we've done nothing for years okay. with all the best will in the world. But there is a problem. Okay. Thank you. Andreas? Well, I wanted to add to what Christina has um, outlined correctly. Um, it's about competences, for sure, but it's also about the procedural setting. And what we do with the DMA is that we change the burden of proof. And this is an enormous change. It's a paradigm that changes here, because in the future, it will not anymore to be for the commission to investigate the latest details, to prove the latest elements, and to wait for the latest court decisions to be supportive, to be supportive of the European Commission's position. But it's up to the commission from the very first day to ask the gatekeeper to prove what they want to do. And if they don't, they have a problem and they will have to go to court and they will have to prove everything and they will have to go to the latest court. And like that, the burden of proof is a tool that will in any event improve the procedural position of the European Commission. And then it's true, also competence and knowledge is needed more than in the past. But there is also some knowledge already, some experience. And I think with that change of burden of proof, that can play out absolutely for the best of the market and for the better of innovation. Thank you. Alexander, you wanted to reply, and then I want to take some questions from our audience as well. Alexander. Yeah, yeah. So um, on, on the question of um, the competence and, uh, and so on. So clearly, I think uh, Andreas has a very important point that the burden of proof is is going in the right direction and, and that is that is very important but in any case even with that kind of burden of proof i don't think the commission alone will be able to do it um, that 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 for sure and so i think really in a way you know the the commission should become a platform of itself and orchestrating 
an ecosystem of enforcement. So really, I mean, the commission alone will not be able to do it. That's extremely clear. And so we should organize a way of cooperation between the commission and um, many other players to, to do it. And for and that's a little bit the case in the DMA, but I think it's better the case, this concept of ecosystem of enforcement in the DSA, for instance, the fact that um, the, the commission under the DSA, which collect data or, or a national regulator and can give it to the um, to a research institute to analyze the data, uh, provided that this research institute is vetted, um, I think that's a very good way to be held by those data scientists, which may be happy in a, in a research institute, but don't want to go for, don't want to, to live in Brussels and work for the commission, you know. So I don't understand why we don't have the same kind of possibility in the DMA that you have in the in the DSA. So that's one thing. The second thing is, even if uh, the commission managed to orchestrate uh, uh, an ecosystem of enforcement, mistake will be made. It's inevitable, you know. And so um, the question is how you learn from your mistake, because, you know, to do one mistake is not a problem. To repeat a mistake, this is an issue. And I think maybe we, we really need to have those kind of feedback mechanisms. For instance, that if the Commission realized that a specification done um, uh, for an Article 6 obligation is not done well, to re-specify, I think that's very important, that the Commission learn from the mistake and, and adapt the, the system. I think that's how it, it could work, you know, ecosystem of enforcement and learn and feedback loop to learn from mistakes. Thank you. Christina, quick comment? Uh, very quickly, I, I do agree with Andreas that the, the sort of the shift in the burden of proof is fundamental here. It, it does change the dynamic very seriously. But at the same time, the reason that I'm cautious and in some sense uh, uh, pessimistic about how, how far really that takes us is that we are adopting by design a law that effectively challenges business models, sometimes very fundamentally, very fundamentally. And so I think it is inevitable that the response will be incredibly dug in and defensive because the, the kind of posture that I hear out there is, but wait a minute, they are wanting us to change the fundamental business model in ways that has not been premised on evidence that the behavior is anti-competitive. So we will challenge. We will challenge. We will challenge until kingdom comes, because this is not what we're going to do easily. This is going to be a, a world in which our business model is undermined by the changes that uh, are, are expected. And so I'm, I'm throwing a note of caution that while the change in expectation and in the burden of proof helps, it is still a major shift, which will inevitably drive a very strong resistance legally and with every means at everybody's disposal. I don't believe in I cooperation. <laughs> That's terribly cynical. Uh, also, just to, to follow on that, uh, you know, if there's a lack of evidence of anti-competitive practice, why would the rules be there uh, the, in the first place? Is this uh, just too much regulation uh, where it shouldn't be uh, there in the first place? You know, uh, do these uh, gatekeepers, do these companies have a fair point when it comes to that? You don't have evidence, why are you punishing us? Is that fair? Christina? Oh, is uh, no. This is not not a, not quite what I'm saying, but there, there is okay. a, certainly a strong body of view that intervention, which is transformative of a business model, needs to be premised on 
evidence of an antitrust quality that conduct okay. is being anti-competitive. And this is a different paradigm. And so you can expect there is a great deal of anxiety and resistance to it. That's what I'm saying. Okay, thank you. Uh, okay, we have loads of questions. I'm going to scan through some of these uh, now. Andres, first one is for you. It's from Jan Topfer. He's a master's political science student at the University of uh, Vienne. Uh, Mr. Schwab, who can we expect to have the final word on enforcing the DMA, the European Commission, or national regulatory agencies and member states? And can you also please refer to the role of the Digital Markets Advisory Committee in the enforcement process? Andres, maybe touching some of this already. First, uh, it will be, and there is a very large majority for that in the Parliament and also in Council, it will be the European Commission. And secondly, um, we have created, uh, with an amendment that I proposed myself to my colleagues, um, that high-level group of experts where member states probably will send the heads of national competition authorities. And apart from that, we have the advisory committee um, that is also advising the European Commission on how to improve legislation, making delegated acts. And it will be important that the European Commission uses both committees to make its decision as uh, best understood as possible and makes use of these uh, institutions. Because uh, what we see is that how the European Commission will apply the DMA will, it, will be in its hands. How member states come up with further legislation and how national competition authorities apply the national competition rules is at their hands and we need a very strong coherence in the application and um, we will call uh, every time the commission to make sure that this coherence is in the interest of users and citizens. Thank you. Matthew, I want to bundle a couple of questions together for you here. So Mark Dempsey says, how do you plan to respond to reports that the US government are planning new pushes against the DMA? And uh, one other on this as well. And let's find where it is again. So this is also on, uh, it has disappeared from my screen. So basically the report that the, the Biden commission is also looking at pushback on the DMA. It had if I recall, there are eight different points um, of, of uh, contention. There we go. Uh, St. James Colligan. And uh, their previous one, the fall, and the state concerns of DMA. What do the panelists in particular, MEP uh, Schwab, think of these concerns? Matthew, I want to put that to you first. What's the context of this and pushback that uh, you may or may not get from the United States administration as well, Matthew? Well, it's been, it's been widely reported that uh, the US government um, has been uh, formally engaging uh, with uh, providing their views. I'm not sure. I'm not sure uh, the qualification of pushback is 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 a correct one. I think this this uh, uh, the, the policy objectives of the DMA are really shared in Washington, as the debate over over there is is showing, with very similar. Uh, uh, projects being on the table of Congress as well. So I think there are uh, ongoing discussions, uh, including the ones that uh, have been referred to uh, about these eight points. Uh, those are arguments that are being shared. I I'm not sure any of them is, is absolutely uh, new to the discussions, at least in the Council, but I think also in the European Parliament. Um, so it's 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 a worthy contribution from uh, the government of the United States. Having said that, it's uh, it's one input. 
Um, many others are sharing their inputs at this point, as you can imagine. Um, but it's uh, so it's 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 being considered. But there's there's nothing uh, that is uh, going um, in the in the way of the DMA itself. It's uh, a, a few items of consideration that may or may not be in the in the in the part of the debates in the trilogues. But I'm not sure uh, we have any pushback now that it's been clarified. And Andreas mentioned that earlier that the scope. Uh, I mean, the point of the DMA is not to target any specific companies, is not to target companies from a specific nationality. And so uh, once we've come across this aspect, we have a constructive dialogue with, uh, with everyone, including the US. Thank you. That was nicely downplayed. OK. Andres, do you want to reply to that? Thanks, Brian, for the question. Um, and uh, Mathieu has already outlined the, the principles. I was just before Christmas in the US. I met plenty of government officials uh, from different ministries, but also from the civil society. And, and I can only tell you, if you have a closer look in the American debate, we share common values and we share the same principles and we share also the basic concerns that we want to fix with the DMA. And everyone who is saying something else is a, a, a source that has to be considered with concern because uh, what concerns of uh, all of us is that we don't want to jeopardize innovation. We don't want to destroy markets. We want to open them. And uh, I think most Americans have understood as uh, these companies are very often sitting in the US that opening the market is most of all something that uh, they will also have a profit of, but also European citizens, and therefore it's a win-win situation. And we will be very strong and tough that this will not be watered down at the end of the trialogue. And I, I feel very safe that this is something that we will also be able uh, to maintain because it's important. We want to have that Europe remains the continent where the law is right and where not those that are big are right. Thank you. Okay, another couple of questions here uh, from Maria, Maria Luisa Stasi uh, for Professor Destrell. First of all, she says uh, Professor Destrell mentioned five actors to be involved in the regulatory dialogue, but end users were not in the list. How to make sure they are adequately involved too? And she had some amendments were put on by the European Parliament, uh, which go in this direction, but we might need to go further and slightly change the narrative. Uh, DMA is about business users and end users' rights alike. Alexander. Yes, um, I mean, I think the, the DMA is mostly a B2B law and, and, and it is protecting, opening the market, as Andres has just mentioned. And, and that is in, indeed very important for innovation, to be sure that the innovation is not concentrated in the hands of a few players. Um, and, 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 but I mean, the idea is mostly to protect those innovators and, and then the, the consumer will benefit from that. I'm not sure that they should directly be um, so uh, evidently involved in the DMA. There is consumer protection for them. I've just mentioned that at the beginning. So uh, I'm not sure that we should, we should uh, um, complexify the law. It is, it is uh, already uh, uh, quite, um, uh, quite, quite complex. I just want also to make one point of, of uh, what Andreas was saying about uh, the, the committee helping the, the commission. Um, I think it's very important that the national competition authorities are involved, obviously, but not only. Um, um, also, uh, all the regulatory authorities should be involved because, you know, competition law and competition authority are in generally good at doing prohibition. 
but they are in general less good at doing obligation, you know, positive obligation. You have to share data or you have to interoperate. And, um, and, and I think there, in general, regulatory authority have proved to be better. So I think it's very important for those kind of um, obligation that not only the competition authority are involved, but also the regulatory authority. Okay, thank you. Christina, you want to come back on the US? Yeah, I wanted to come back briefly about on, on the on the US posture. I agree entirely with Matthew and uh, Andreas. And and really, I think this, this impression that some may have that the Biden administration is in any way uh, pulling back is, is, I think, not borne out by the facts. I don't speak, of course, for anyone, but obs observing what goes on. Of course, there is an onslaught of lobbying some of it extravagant. You know, in the US, you play particularly the China card at every turn. If you regulate us, China wins. And this is something that in Europe we don't really have in the same way. But of course, this is a card that's been played very, very hard by, by some of the targets. But I think this shouldn't uh, uh, overwhelm the fact that in reality, there is enormous support for uh, going forward with this. And it is bipartisan support, which is very important. It is not just the Biden administration. Uh, you've had bipartisan bills. You have now the Klobuchar-Grassley bill, which is the successor to, uh, uh, to Cicilline and Bach, and has been marked up and is now out of the committee, and importantly, with significant support from Republicans. Uh, Ted Cruz, a, a, a uh, supported it and within six Republicans, which is enormously significant for very different reasons. Of course, Republicans worry about freedom of speech and uh, Democrats worry about market power, but there is a confluence of interests. And then, of course, there's another bill by Lee on our tech. So there's quite a lot going on. Quite whether it is going to actually cross the House and make it into law is another matter. But it is not remotely the case for anyone who spends any time in Washington that we, you know, are the crazy Europeans and we are not. Uh, really being followed by Washington. They are looking at what we are doing very carefully and they're on the same page in the main. Doing a deal with Ted Cruz. Good luck, uh, anybody who tries that. And you're right, in China, uh, even if you walk around the bus stops uh, close to the White House and Congress, you see uh, this uh, anti-Chinese message woven into things about the national debt, anything to do with tech, but national security as well. So perfectly right on that. Let's take another couple of questions uh, for a moment. Uh, Lydia Detting, I think maybe Andreas will try this one, it's quite technical. Uh, will the methodology of the calculation for end, uh, use in, for end and, and business users for the designation of gatekeepers set out in the annex of the DMA be aligned with the methodology to calculate recipients and users of platforms in the DSA? Do you follow that? Okay, go ahead. Well, first of all, if I may say so, Active business users are a term that is already in the air since quite a while. And um, we don't want to change it, but active means for all colleagues that active is not just a visitor. It's an active client who is making transactions. And uh, like that, with, which because it's important for the definition also of the of platform size and of, of gatekeeper status and uh, has a lot of implications, for sure there needs to be a streamlining between the DMA and the DSA. And as Mathieu has already lined out before, it's not the only one um, that we have to care about. There is also 
um, for all uh, questions around GDPR, sensitive data and personal data. They will also to be treated uh, in the same manner, in a coherent manner in both files, maybe one element only in one file, the other uh, for that uh, aim uh, only in the other. And like that, we are working closely together. I'm meeting nearly on a daily basis with my colleague Christel Schalde-Mose, and we will do the utmost to make these laws together a very coherent but a very strong European piece of legislation where we hope that we can also reach the gold standard in the world. And I have to tell you something. This is a common interest that we share with our American friends because in the end, the shareholder value principle, which has, the, has made the gatekeeper so big uh, and so heavy and so rich, it's something that is bound by the law. And no one has any doubt, not in the US, not in Europe, that the gatekeepers are to abide by the law and therefore the law will remain. And that is not always all over the place uh, the case. And therefore we are very trustful that it makes sense to do it together. And in the end also to come to common solutions with the Americans, because if we don't manage it together, it will be very hard to apply these rules in a, a transatlantic manner. Thank you. I want to come back to that with Matthew in just a moment in terms of the global context and the gold standard. Um, but just one more question um, for Alexander. This is from Thomas uh, Mansour. If the Commission is to be involved in ensuring uniform application of the DMA by national courts, would that be similar to the Commission issuing competition law guidelines, or should the Commission have even more competences to guide or bind the judiciary? Alexander. Yeah, I think that that's an excellent question. And, um, and, and the question is, what is indeed the legal value of those guidelines to national court? And what is complicated is that the Court of Justice itself uh, give a little bit different view depending on whether they, we are in antitrust, where in general, um, the, the Court of Justice give less legal forces to those antitrust guidelines than to regulatory guidelines in telecom, for instance. And so um, I hope that um, the um, the those guidelines will have to be taken into account by the national judiciary, like it is the case in telecom. And, and, and the, the, the solution is telecom is compliant or explained. So either um, the national court should follow the guidelines of the commission or explain, explain why they do not want to follow them. Okay, I really hope that will be the, the strategy maybe we need to have, I know we are late in the process and probably too late, but a provision like we have in, for instance, the telecom code, uh, that um, the judiciary is bound to take into account, to take the utmost account of those commission uh, commission soft law instruments. Thank you. Matthew, we're in the last 10 minutes here and uh, I want to get you an opportunity to wrap up in a few moments as well. But let's talk about the, the global dynamics here as well. And as Andreas said, uh, the gold standard in the world. And you know, if we look at the example of GDPR and the, the global impact that has had, even uh, the Chinese uh, modeling their own response uh, on, on this to some degree as well. How do you see, as you manage this, uh, this dossier, how do you see uh, this impacting uh, global dynamics, not just in terms of how uh, American companies, international companies play in the European market, but the spillover effect and uh, what benefit uh, can European companies uh, hope to see from this, or European consumers hope to see from this as well? Matthew. What a broad question. Thank you. Um, uh, so doing a little perspective is always is always quite difficult. Um, I think there are two two key things here uh, in, in, within your question. The first one is 
we need to set those rules um, that need to be as up to date to the challenges we're seeing in the digital environment as possible. And this digital environment changes pretty fast. There are new technologies coming in. We're talking about uh, uh, metaverse. Uh, we are talking about uh, new, uh, there are talks about Web3 and so on. And we need to have the concept as robust as possible so they can address at least most of the issues uh, that will emerge in the, in the coming years. We've had success in the e-commerce directive, which was, as you can remember, inspired by similar US regulations at the beginning of the, tw uh, 20, uh, the, 2000, uh, year, the year 2000. Um, it lasted a while. And, and what we're doing here must have as a goal to be, uh, uh, of course, flexible, but provide the framework for the next 10, 15, maybe 20 years. And, and this time we have in Europe the opportunity to uh, set this framework first, work with others who share our values in order to maybe expand this. Um, and I think in the US, we have very constructive discussions sharing the same policy objectives, as I was saying, and Andreas and others were saying the same thing. Um, uh, we'll see how the UK is going, but uh, actually there's uh, pretty much uh, a lot of similarities with their approach as well. And um, we are, uh, we will be, we will be having a, 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 a we will be providing European companies with the most advanced legal framework within which we hope they can strive, we hope they can grow, and so that uh, in the future we are positioning ourselves not only on the regulation front, but also on the innovation front, as I was saying at the beginning. Okay, thank you. Christina, on this as well, you know, is it possible to in any way future-proof the DMA or is the dialogue uh, element between the Commission and the gatekeepers, for example, the only way to keep this an organic uh, response uh, and all the different dynamics we, we've discussed during during the program today. Yeah, is this future-proof or are we starting always uh, two steps behind uh, where we need to be because the technology is advancing uh, so quickly? Christina. Look, this is, this is really the big experiment that we are embarking on and we don't have a choice because antitrust, as I say, hasn't worked. Antitrust really is seven steps behind and has not enabled us to keep tabs with what is going on. So this is an experiment. How is it going to play out? I think, uh, of course, remains to be seen. I see that there is a considerable advantage to us in Europe in leading this charge because, of course, as a continent, we have uh, a natural advantage here. We have been uh, pushing this and we, we, we uh, are ahead. Frankly, our credentials in antitrust are quite are quite uh, faded now because from being a certainly a, a, a forward-looking enforcer, uh, the world the penny has dropped that we really haven't achieved very much in practice. Uh, and the U.S. is uh, certainly the transatlantic has turned, and in antitrust, a lot is happening. So we really need to make this work somehow. But I think that it is going to take time, and it is going to be the product of various trial and errors. And it isn't going to be smooth sailing. It is going to be challenging. Thank you. 
we're pretty close on time, so I want to ask each of our panelists uh, for their uh, final soundbite as well. Alexander, let's kick off with you. What's your takeaway for today? Yeah, I mean, I want to, to paraphrase uh, the Clinton strategist. And you remember it says it's the economy stupid. Here, clearly, it's enforcement <laughs> stupid. And so I really think that we need now, um, especially um, the people not directly involved in the negotiation, because I know it takes you all your time, your, your day and your night, but uh, Christina, I and others, work uh, seriously on enforcement and this is what i want to do with uh, the think tank i'm involved in in cell but i think everyone should should really now focus it, its attention or, or attention on that excellent we'll get the t-shirts with its enforcement steward uh, printed up by the end of the week and uh, first one's over to you alexander thank you for that uh matthew over to you uh, final remark well i'm really uh um, enthusiastic about this uh, this uh, punchline from alexander about enforcement um, it's, it's, I think, I think this is absolutely key and, and, and the, maybe the, the anecdote is, you know, we're working on this text and it's taking all our time at the moment and we having very constructive discussions, but it's so intense. And sometimes the teams think, well, you know, once, once they're concluded, what's going to happen? We get, won't have anything else to do. And, and I'm always reminding everyone it's it's just a start we are just starting on the path of this experiment as christina was mentioning and it's going to be about enforcement and making it um uh, and and making it have an impact on the way uh we are creating a, a digital europe thank you christina over to you well, I, I don't want to end on a pessimistic note. I, I, I don't want to do that. On the other hand, I have been uh, going on for some time that business models matter. And to the extent that this is a regulation that absolutely, as I said before, goes to the heart of business models, uh, there is going to be a significant challenge in getting these businesses to cooperate, to understand where this is going, because it is ultimately premised on a view, example, we have that we can re-engineer these markets in ways that work better for consumers. The, uh, the, the, the approach over there is, but we are not clear that that is true. What we're doing is good for consumers too. So there is going to be a significant amount of uh, back and forth before this can go places. But we have to try, there is no alternative. Thank you. Andreas, last word. Well, I would say that after uh, it's the economy is stupid, we have too often heard it's the algorithm stupid. And now definitely that's not anymore the case. Now it's enforcement. And that is a positive message because again, the law will be applied and it will be applied fast. And um, that is our task now. And those who work uh, day and night on it cons are concerned about that. And those that advise us, uh, they think about this. And like that, this conference has had a very positive impact because in the end, we know that we want to apply the law in the same and a coherent manner uh, across Atlantic. And that's what we hope we can achieve. Excellent. Thank you so much. We've had an excellent discussion today. I really appreciate the contributions uh, from the whole panel today. So thanks to Andreas, to Matthew, Christina, and to Alexandra. And also uh, to our audience as well, you've been super engaged. Sorry if we didn't get to all your questions, uh, but we're, thank you for, uh, for putting those to the panel. And to our social media team, you don't see them, uh, but uh, they put in a lot of work behind the scenes. Uh, and my thanks to them. And to the production team, Zoran, Malta, Bonya, Tamara, and Elisa. And also uh, to Microsoft uh, for their support today as well. We love working uh, with the Microsoft team. It's uh, been a pleasure. So uh, to our audience, uh, stay tuned. Keep uh, uh, commenting online. Our social media team will continue to engage 
uh, for the rest of the day and tomorrow on that as well. And uh, you can share uh, this program uh, with your friends and family. Uh, and tomorrow, I think as well, it should be available, if not today. So uh, many thanks and I wish you a good rest of the day, whether you're here in the United States or in Brussels. I'm Brian McGuire.